And welcome to episode number six of the Authentic Discipleship Podcast. My name is Jonathan Cheka, and I'm joined here today by Miss Maridel Williams. Maridel, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, my privilege. So, Maridel, tell me a little bit about your life growing up. What was a young Maridel Williams like? Oh, my goodness. So, um, I'm a child of the 50s, five zeros, um, and um, grew up, became of age in the 60s, um, got married in the 70s, started having children in the 70s and um, 80s, and, um, but those, the 50s were, that's golden times, um, Grew up in the household of a pastor mm-hmm. and um, had two siblings. We had a lot of people in our house, a lot of people all the time. I watched my parents not only pastor a growing congregation, but disciple people mm-hmm. in our home. And um, But yeah, I was that kid. Um, I, I think I remember... Uh, first grade, my highest ambition, I remember coming home telling my parents that I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And they excitedly listened, and I let them know that I felt like I would like to be a vampire bat. Wow. High ambitions as a young Mm -hmm. child. So I think they guided me uh, maybe into more of a lucrative lifestyle. Um, But um, I think more than anything, my parents modeled how fun it was to follow Jesus how <clears throat> extremely fun it was to have a family and raise kids. And so one of my ambitions, in addition to being, wanting to be a, a vampire, I eventually uh, realized I wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to be that. Uh, and it was pretty normal, I think, for kiddos, uh, young ladies in that time, to have ambitions of being a mom and raising kids. So um, in addition to the other things that I wanted to do, I knew that I wanted to be a parent. And I think it's in the realm of uh, parenting our own kids that I probably learned the most about one of the topics we'll talk about today, spiritual parenting. Mm-hmm. And you're still working um, on uh, the vampire ambitions, still working on you that? You know, I, I gave that cape up a long time ago. Um, no, I think that's better for other people right now. Okay, yeah. that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Uh, so when did you start to develop a personal relationship with Jesus? Mm-hmm. We had uh, Fred Mendock on a couple episodes ago, and he talked about a very different experience being a pastor's kid, a PK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to note the both the similarities and the differences uh, between people in those experiences. But when did your uh, relationship with Jesus start? Yeah. So I remember vividly being a nine-year-old and um, being very convinced and convicted of sin and wanting, I just wanted to live my life for Jesus more than anything in the world. And I remember praying that prayer and um, being discipled then by a variety of disciplers um, mm-hmm. through my childhood and, and teen years being in the church. That was, it was just pretty organic for that to happen. Um, so yeah, but nine years old, I remember very vividly. And um, I remember being baptized as a young teen. My dad baptized me. I have a horrific fear of water. I don't <laughs> swim. I love the ocean. I love the I love water, but I don't swim. So it was really more of a challenge for me to be baptized than it might be for the average person because I was pretty certain that I would die. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but those were childhood memories that I'm I'm pretty fond of. 
Yeah, there's a couple of funny stories about uh, people who are afraid of water being baptized. Uh, when I was uh, over in Uganda and we were baptizing some of the street kids who uh, dis- made that decision, mm-hmm. one of them uh, just started fighting us like halfway through dunking him down. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, he ended up um, getting fully immersed later. But yeah, yeah it's just kind of funny. <laughs> um, so you talked about having a couple of different disciple makers mm-hmm. in your life. Uh, what are uh, specifically one or two of those relationships maybe? And uh, what did they look like? Yeah. So my parents, as I mentioned mm-hmm. Um, those, those were the primary, uh, disciple makers, uh, as far as I was concerned, Sunday school teachers going forward, women that I was so fond of who mentored me, who even reached out to me as I grew, it was no longer in their classroom, but, uh, still in the church. But, uh, as a young adult, um, a mentor who was absolutely instrumental in, in encouraging me as I did get uh, a little bit further past that um, vampire bat stage and and then eventually realizing that God had placed a call on my life into full-time Christian ministry, which scared me to death. It would have been easier to be a vampire. Um, but that's uh, that big calling, um, the man who mentored me through that very scary stage and encouraged me and saw maybe the giftedness that I had and um, encouraged me to build on those things and um, become whoever it was God was calling me to be. Don't be, don't put parameters around that, but just um, understand that the God who called you is the one who will um, facilitate the calling and will be with you, kind of as the Great Commission says, until the end of the age. So that mentor was probably the most influential, for sure. Awesome. And uh, one more question about your parents uh, before we move on, because mm-hmm. I'm interested in that specifically. Um, when you say uh, they discipled you and they raised you up in the faith, what exactly did that look like? What are some of the like specific practices they put into, into practice? Right. So I felt like I was privileged and I always keep in the back of my mind, to whom much is given, much will be required, Mm -hmm. as Jesus said. I feel like I was given the platinum level of discipleship in that it was as natural and normal as it was for Jesus to disciple his original 12 because it was the day in and day out, every day living it out, Mm -hmm. Uh, seeing a model for what discipleship should look like in that They were constantly on the lookout for others that they should be discipling. And I watched that. I saw them bringing people into the home, having meals together, and just forming relationships. That relational environment that we talk about was so normal and natural. It wasn't like a teaching, hey, I'm going to sit you down today, and we're going to talk about how to do this. It wasn't that. It was more caught than taught. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the best memories I have Um, that shows you how far back it goes, even as a small child. I couldn't have been more than four. I remember um, the last thing we would do in the day was reading of the Bible, and we would sit in the the living room, and because I was the youngest at that time, I would sit on my dad's lap. I would press my... I, I would press my ear into his chest... And I would actually be able to feel the reverberations of his voice as well as hear the scripture. And I've never forgotten that. Mm-hmm. It, I can still almost imagine that. So those very early, um, deep memories of what it means to just have a love for God and his word 
um, that stay, has stayed with me for forever. Now, I realize not everybody has that advantage. Mm-hmm. And I think over the course of the years, I've become more aware that I was given something not everybody gets. And I think I saw that mostly uh, come to reality when I worked with the women at Doors of Hope to realize they didn't even have parenting, much less godly parenting, and much less being discipled from an early age. So I realized that early, and I think that was one of the things I wanted to build into our home as we raised our own kids. Mm-hmm. And for those who might not be familiar, what uh, is Doors of Hope? Mm. Doors of Hope is an initiative I started uh, about 12 or 13 years ago. I felt God was calling me to really reach out to the least of these and um, prepare a place where women who were being released from incarceration or who were experiencing homelessness could have a safe place to um, to breathe and to learn about the love of God and to learn and to be helped to build their life back after it had been completely ruined. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, and thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that and all the work that you did uh, mm-hmm. for all those women. My pleasure. So uh, today we are talking about spiritual parenthood, uh, and this is, in a sense, kind of the final phase of spiritual development. Uh, This is the point where people are ready to be independent disciple makers themselves, maybe not immediately, but we're working towards that in the spiritual parenthood stage. So whereas uh, spiritual young adulthood was characterized mostly by service and being others focused, now we're starting to get a little bit more intentional about um, not just serving other people, but making them disciple makers as well. Um, What do you think some of the, I guess, um, characteristics of someone who's moving from just serving, um, and I say just serving, um, but starting to be more intentional about it, about I'm going to do more than just uh, pour you a cup of coffee or have a conversation with you. Now I'm going to start to draw you into a relationship with Jesus. What what does that change kind of look like? Mm. Well, it looks different probably for every different person. Very true. And, and I think about the um, the difference in our own kids that we raised, uh, three kids, the difference in their personalities, in their giftedness, and in the way they matured. I think we can expect that same thing in the discipleship process, that we as spiritual parents can look at those who are young adults and uh, really begin to try to suppose what it is that God has especially gifted them to do. And we can only do that in a relational environment. We have to know these people well. But as we know them and as we hear their stories, and I think that is key, we have to be good listeners as parents. Absolutely. Um, so as we listen to the stories of those young adults, we're going to hear things that are going to tip us off. Oh, wow. Um this person has a story that God intends to redeem mm-hmm. and to use to bless others. So rather than um, be ashamed of our past uh, or wish it had been different, when we hear the stories of redemption of the, the people we're discipling, um, we need to encourage them that those painful things that have happened in their lives, God can redeem those if we're willing to let him do that. Um, and there's a tremendous power in that um, because the people that we're noticing that are also around us that need to be discipled, we can kind of begin to make connections between 
this spiritual adult and those that might just be spiritual children make connections. And that's a very natural way for that to happen. And also, I think we get involved in the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as we listen and uh, can be tuned in to what he might be doing in terms of connecting people with each other. I think the thing that people are a little bit reticent about is, oh, I, I, I don't even know if I want people to know how the awfulness of where I was. But when we can own that and not relish how terrible it was, but shine the light of Christ on that and what he redeemed, redeemed us from, it can be super powerful in, um, in the next generation. So I think that the big deal is to listen. Mm-hmm. for those mm, things that we know look like maturity and that we realize they're they're getting to the point where they're comfortable with their relationship with Christ and um, and are ready. In the same way that we never hand the keys over to our kid before they're capable of driving, mm-hmm. um, we don't want to do that for a spiritual young adult either. We want to make sure that we're riding a long shotgun with them for a bit um, and and coaching them through that process, helping them grow and calling out what might be, you know, hey, you might be a little bit too close to the curb over there, buddy. You might. Um, so it's all about just staying close um, and and just letting it happen, not forcing it, mm-hmm. not forcing it. Um, we don't want to do that. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's it's kind of been my experience, the best way to um, be aware of a person's um, maturity to where they might be ready to take that step of discipling someone else. Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting balance to try to hit between not forcing it, uh, waiting for, um, not necessarily just sitting back and waiting for it, because obviously if we're being an intentional leader in this discipleship relationship, we are working towards a goal that we've clearly communicated from the beginning. But there's a little bit of a dance between, um, I want to wait for your passions to start increasing this, because I can tell you all day long that you should be doing this, but until you want to do it yourself, you're not really going to go out and do it. But at the same time, um, we're working on planting those seeds of, hey, let's start moving in this direction. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Um, how best do you think it is to navigate that uh, dichotomy between um, letting them come to the conclusion themselves and helping them come to that conclusion? Yeah. Um, well, there again, I think um, staying in the loop with them, knowing them well, knowing, staying, giving them enough time um, to where you can actually see how God is working in their lives and pointing those things out. Hey, do you, uh, you know, just that struggle that you went through last week, did you see what happened there? Did you see how differently you handled that this time than you did 90 days ago, three mm-hmm. you know, three months ago? What, what do you think that is? Well, that's called spiritual growth. And so being able to point those things out, those, those milestones um, that um, God is at work in your life, I can see it. And, um, there, you know, you're making great progress. That whole thing of affirmation is a big deal. And, um, I think we see that in the Jesus model. I can't get over how, um, I just went back this morning and read Luke nine and 10 and, um, where Jesus sent them out. He sent the 12 out, uh, for the first time, two by two. That's important. Mm -hmm. Two by two. He didn't shoot them out of a cannon and say, good luck, right? See you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
how he did that. And when they came back, there was a little bit of coaching to do. Mm-hmm. And it had gone fairly well. And then he sent out the 72, or in some versions it says 70, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they came back, there was so much rejoicing. And I think that's a vital part of the process as a spiritual parent, that joy that comes. And it's not having, it's not contrived. It's joy when you see another, see them be able to actually do what it is that they've been working toward all this time. And God has gone with them, prepared ways. They've come back so excited. Um, I, I, my dad used to say, so excited they would take on hell with a squirt gun, you know? <laughs> so we need to make sure that we don't squelch, but at that point rejoice with him, just like Jesus did. It said he was so full of joy in the Holy Spirit. And when I think about what in the world was it that gave him so much joy in that? Well, number one, it worked. Mm-hmm. And, and he was showing them this process works. And that they didn't know it, but very soon he was going to be be saying to them, look, I'm going away, mm-hmm. and I'm going to turn this whole thing over to you. And I want you to just do what it is that I've taught you to do. Go, teach, baptize, do all those things that I've taught you to do, and I'm going to be with you. So um, I think it's very important for us as spiritual parents to stay connected, to rejoice yeah, I mean, we're there for the failures, too, and mm-hmm. the disappointments. But um, the affirmation, it's very true that the people that we're uh, growing up to be spiritual parents um, really do care a lot about what we think about their their abilities. And basically, it's seeing the God in them. It's not their abilities, after all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's the Holy Spirit that he said would be with them and in them as they go. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you brought up the example of the 70 slash 72 going out two by two, because that uh, once someone displays an interest genuinely in starting to go out and make disciples themselves, and uh, not only the interest in it, because hopefully they've been displaying that this whole time, and that's what we're working towards, but the actual ability to start going out and doing that themselves. One of the first steps after that is to start doing that with them. Um, Going back to the um, I do, we do, you do model of okay, you've been seeing me do this with you. Now let's start to do that together. Uh, What do you think some of those um, initial starting opportunities might be of, okay, you are almost ready to go out and make disciples yourselves, but I want you to come alongside of me and do it with me. What does that kind of look like? Well, the way I enjoy doing it is letting them know, hey, I've found this other gal that really is interested in being discipled. And I'm seeing in you that you're and you're you're there. You're so ready to do this and you're excited about it. Um, and so I want to walk with you. Um, I'm not I'm not asking you to do this by yourself, but would you be willing for us to just come together as three people in a room mm-hmm. and just have some conversation? And what I'm gonna be doing is just modeling for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when when I get when we get together as a triad, as three of us, um, I just ask the new person, tell me your story. And she's always going to say, oh, my goodness, oh, where do I start? And I just say, wherever you want to, because it's your story. Mm-hmm. And um, just start wherever you want to and just tell us any, just tell us about your journey. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a spiritual journey, but as you did with me, what, what was your childhood like? Mm-hmm. Um, so letting her listen in on... Um, somebody else's story, and then allowing her to tell hers. 
most of the time at the end of that session, an hour or so together, um, what we're going to see is these two gals have become good friends. And they found common ground somewhere in their stories, kind of on one of those really me too mm-hmm. uh, moments. So it's become very natural. It doesn't feel weird at all at that point in time. But then uh, to be able to just meet with those two gals again, maybe another time, maybe a couple of times, just whatever God leads you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then soon they're going to be ready to just be meeting just the two of them and maybe even pulling someone else in. Mm. Um, so that's the my, that's my favorite way for it to, for it to happen. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned a couple of interesting things there. One of them, um, the bond that uh, people experience mm-hmm. when they realize uh, and they're starting to share their story and uh, their hurts, habits, and hangups mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, and they realize it's okay to be a real human being, mm. and two, uh, that they're not the only ones. That other people have gone Absolutely. through this as well. Yes. That is a huge bonding opportunity, mm-hmm. and now you have just rocketed that relationship to a whole other level. Yeah. And the empathy and the vulnerability that you've laid the mm-hmm. groundwork for. It's going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And um, it's um, at that point in time, it's very easy then to take that sigh of relief. And, um, you know, even with our own kids, when we're raising kids, the first time we let them step off the porch by themselves without holding their hand, it's like, oh, and uh, okay, they made it. Um, Or the first time they do drive around the block with a brand new license or they, oh my goodness, they go out on a first date. Um, Oh, uh, but... Okay, we're not even going to be there, but what we have built into that relationship, we take a deep breath, we pray a quick prayer, and then we cut the cord. Mm-hmm. It has to happen. Um, because then later on, there's going to be big big ticket things like going away to the military or getting married or those uh, uh, launching a new career or a new business. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, we have to learn that there is, does come that time when it's really really important and it's um it's the right thing to do to cut that cord and let them let them do this thing on their own knowing we haven't gone anywhere we're still there right we're still somewhere on the planet right yeah and something that makes it a lot easier not necessarily easy but um when we've been doing a gradual workup to that release of okay now uh, go and do this yourself mm-hmm. and we've been letting them uh fail in a controlled environment um, i say controlled environment not exactly but um when we're still there to support them right. and help them out um it makes a huge difference uh, both in our confidence to go and send them out and in their confidence in their own abilities to go out yeah. and do them do that themselves yeah. uh, something else that i want to throw in there uh, life groups are a really good opportunity to work out some of that. Hey, why don't you um, talk with Susie Q about um, what what she shared in group today? Do you mind following up with her about that? Um, and obviously, that's easy to do in one on one and one on two relationships as well. But especially in the context of a group, there yeah. there are a lot of opportunities there to just give people small discipling opportunities of. Um, hey, can you help me out with this? Hey, do you mind talking to so-and-so about that? Um, so I wanted to throw that in there about groups real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been walking with people for a little bit. We started to give them uh, small and increasingly larger opportunities to go and disciple with us. Um, what are, do you think some of the signs that someone is ready to go out and actually start doing this themselves without our help? Well, they begin to have those big thought ideas themselves. Um, one of the things that I find most uh, revelatory is when I hear that um, that spiritual uh, young adult talking to me 
I just read this amazing book. I cannot believe what I just learned in this book, and they're sharing with me. So they're actually becoming leaders. I'm a strong advocate for reading. Um, If we're going to stay ahead of this game, if we're going to disciple other people, we can't take them anywhere we haven't already been. Mm -hmm. So it behooves us as uh, spiritual parents to continue to stay in the Word, but also reading for understanding and for depth. And, um, And so when I hear them launching into their own explorations of, I came across this scripture, I could not believe it. I I looked in 14 different commentaries to see different ideas on this. So that's spiritual. I'm no longer having to force them mm-hmm. or spoon feed them to do the things. They are on their own taking initiative. Um, in, and you mentioned life groups, and I think that's that's a big deal. And what I see this spiritual young adult doing is saying to this gal she's been talking to, or maybe that I've introduced her to, hey, do you go to a life group? Well, how about coming with me? It, and the, the, that's another thing I love about our church in that we don't um, pigeonhole people over into categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let's say this gal is single and but the group that the uh, that the disciple are in is in as a co-ed, basically married couples group. Mm-hmm. Is it okay? She, well, of course it's okay. We don't we don't build parameters around that. We want to make sure we keep it easy uh, for people to join. So when I see her do that, when I see her put an arm around the shoulder and say, "I know it's really hard to go into a, a group for the first time. How about you go with me? And mm-hmm. how about we go eat dinner together first, and then we'll go." So. Mm-hmm. Just make it, keeping it very normal and natural and healthy, um, just to include this gal in whatever she's doing. Also, um, I love it when you know I hear, man, I noticed this gal was stressed the other day, and I just ask her, let's just go get a manicure together. Just go <laughs> hang out and get a pedicure together, and then um, you know we'll just have some conversation. So those little gestures that I know that God is, they may be little, but on the other hand. Um, they're really building foundation under that relationship. The other thing that we got to keep in mind is however they see me discipling is how they're going to disciple. Absolutely. So I, I, whatever I do, I need to be intentional about it, but I also need to keep in mind this is how she's going to disciple the gal I'm going to assign to her. Mm-hmm. So um, when I see her replicating those things, I start getting pretty excited that, yeah, this is happening. Yeah, and uh, two things that you mentioned there. One, that uh, for better or for worse, they're going to do everything that we do, just like being uh, an actual biological parent. Mm-hmm. You really got to watch yourself on what you're doing because, again, for better or for worse, yeah. they're going to do everything that mm-hmm. you do. And sometimes you start to see qualities come out mm-hmm. in them that you're like, oh, shoot, you got that from me. Yes. That's a little scary. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So sometimes laughingly pointing that out. Um. <laughs> With a nervous laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's just part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we're getting ready to pe- uh, send people out to do this on their own, they're starting to display these signs that they're ready mm-hmm. to do it themselves. I think one of the really important reminders for them, and you mentioned this earlier, is that we are sending them out to do this alone, but they're not alone in it. Mm. There are uh, resources out there for them. They have community all around them. Absolutely. They uh, still have access to us even after we've uh, sent them out. Sure. Uh, would you mind uh, just talking a little bit about um, 
what's available to people um, after they get sent out to disciple themselves. Yeah. Well, I love our church community. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the, the biggest deal um, that is available is that our church has this amazing process already in place. You can't improve on the process. I'm just sold on it. Um, so if if a person takes on this idea of discipling another person, the main thing that I always want to talk to them about is don't try to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, the wheel is here for a reason. So when I introduce new people to um, to a person who may potentially disciple them, I'm looking for that potential discipler to invite them to come to next class. Oh, you've never been you know what, I came three years ago, I would love to come again. Why don't we just do that together? Mm-hmm. And have you done following Jesus? It, it, that is a great thing to do. And so always um, pointing to the fact that there's this great process in place. You don't have to be so fearful that it's all on you to do. Use what's available. So have you done authentic discipleship? Oh, it'll change. It'll change your entire perspective about this. So those things also have you have you found a life group yet? Let me help you. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll help you. You can come to mine, or we'll find one. Um, so the whole. How about serving? Um, serving together. Have you ever tried that? Um, so all of those things um, that are tools that we can use to help a person get a really strong foundation under them um, for whatever they're going to do next in the kingdom. So sometimes during the course of that, I know recently I've been uh, quasi-mentoring a young lady, I guess, uh, who comes here to church. She's a relatively youngish Christian, but man, she's she's making such progress so fast. She's just so in love with Jesus, and her life has been so revolutionized that she's going from point A to point B really, really fast. Um, and I love to see that. I love to see the enthusiasm of a new believer. There's nothing in the world like that. Um, and then to build into that, um, enthusiasm, what we know needs to happen in terms of getting some spiritual maturity, Mm -hmm. um, the, what she needs to do to grow and to learn and learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, so all of those things that we know we were directed to do, um, you know, I think Paul says all those things that that you've seen me do, do this, and I haven't done it perfectly. But you know what? Just follow me. Absolutely. And uh, something that you touched on there, and a little bit before as well, that I really want to emphasize: doing the things that we invite people to together with them. Yeah. Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit in following Jesus, where if we're going to invite someone to church, we shouldn't just say, "Hey, check out my church." It's actually, no, why don't you come with me? Mm. Let's talk about this. Uh, Maybe grab uh, dinner or lunch afterwards. um, And actually walking them through the process with them makes a huge difference. Absolutely. It it really does. So as we're coming to a close here, um, if people get one thing out of this episode, Mm. what do you want them to walk away with? Oh, well, I think what I would want them to walk away with is this. And I'll go back to my parenting experience. Now, I think one of our biggest um, challenges in in discipling is our feelings of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. And I always think about my feelings of inadequacy as a parent. When those big days came, when the decisions were tough, when it looked like it was all going off the rails, 
in those moments of just feeling completely inadequate. I wasn't alone. And now as I look around the table when we have a family day and I see our kids and see how they're parenting their kids, Mm -hmm. and now I even have great-grandchildren too and one on the way. When I see that, it reminds me every time of what the calling is that even in even in light of the fact that we are inadequate, Jesus said, um, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. And he didn't just say, I might be, if, I, if it's convenient, I'll show up. Mm-hmm. If I can, he said, I am. And that reminds me also of the big I am mm-hmm. of, of the Bible. He is with us. And so it's not us doing it anyway. So that means the Great Commission is really in good hands after all, because it's not us anyway. It's God who wills. He does what he wills to do within us. He allows us to be a part of that. So I think that's the big deal. Inadequacies, of course, but it's not us that's doing it anyway. I think that's a pretty good note to close it out on. Maridel, thanks for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. My privilege. Thank you.